Hi, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Corner, episode 43, where we have a pretty special episode for everyone. Uh, it's our first guest. Hey! <laughs> who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Hey. And what better way to start than with the product tea queen bee herself, uh, Leah. Leah. Oh, it's me. Oh, That's yeah. you. Hi. Yeah. Hi, everyone. So nice to be here. <laughs> thanks for joining us. And thanks for uh, putting through uh, putting up with us through these uh, lovely technical issues we have as we learn how to use technology for our first guest. <laughs> yeah, that's how we do it, cool. you know. It sounds way more sophisticated than it really is, right? But uh, <laughs> here we are. We did it. Work. Cool. So um, I'm going to kick it off with you, Leah. I would love for you first to talk to us a little bit about yourself and your background. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself and uh, then we'll introduce you. If that sounds familiar. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, thanks. Thanks again for having me. My name is Leah. I'm pretty old. I've been in the industry for quite a long time and I write about it. So <laughs> I think my favorite topic is uh, product-led growth, um, product-led sales, everything that is connected with it. And um, basically enabling people with actionable stuff on how to do it right. And um, been with uh, no-name companies like Microsoft and, and some other People not sure whether Who? some of you know it. Uh, my, micro, 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 Microsoft. Micro something. Microsoft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they do the Xbox. And, the Xbox um, people. Got it. Got it. Some other, some other companies. And uh, I found the three startups, crashed two of them into the wall and was reasonably successful with another one. And uh, yeah, here I am. I, I produce a lot of content and I try to do it in an actionable way. That's that's who I am in a nutshell. And I also con I try to do some... Uh, consulting and advisory business on the side while I have also a full-time job at Jua.ai, which is a machine learning startup where we try to predict the weather better than ever. No. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's a great intro. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I, uh, well, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, um, as you kind of mentioned, is you are pretty prolific on LinkedIn and your content is super on point and super valuable, which is really nice to see in kind of crowded news feeds of maybe a bit of fluff. Everything you put out is actionable and I, I just love it. It's super, super valuable. And I find myself sending your guides to my C-level saying, this is what we should be doing. Here's proof that we should be doing this. So um, yeah, so you're, you're pretty amazing in that field. And also on the other side of things is like the PLG, right? It's on everyone's lips. Everyone's talking about it. Um, in episode 40 of Marketing Corner, we got to talk about our predictions and mine was that PLG was going to be a huge play for a lot of marketers, especially in kind of tough economic times, head, cut, uh, head counts and budgets are being cut. Um, and I rely on your product led gro growth guide to kind of guide me. So uh, I'm really excited to get a chance to kind of dive deep into this with you uh, here. Um, so Thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. Cool. Nice. Let's uh, can we kick it off? Maybe like take a step back and just like say, okay, uh, Leah, we all know here, us three know what product-led growth is. But in your words, what what do you define it as? Like, how do you define product? -led growth? Well, depending on the weekday, I change the definition of it. Um, <laughs> but I would say that um, I kind of try to shoehorn this this stage saying show don't tell into my product-led growth material in a way that you want to show what you have to offer instead of just talking about it, which is an antagonistic statement towards what marketing does. So I'm really sorry for all the marketers in the call. Um, <laughs> we can but take it. We, live, uh, we live in a time where 
AI, machine learning, all the tooling that we have make it easier and easier to fake really good marketing and packaging, right? So like we're really good at creating packaging for products and even the products themselves, but that is completely detached from the quality inside of it. Um, and it's getting harder and harder for users to differentiate what is actually a good product and, and, and what is not so good of a product. Because, yeah, as I said, you know, marketing is getting better. Um, and therefore, the one thing that is left behind is the trust with people. And we kind of need to establish that. And what we can do as product companies is to basically just say, look, we're going to give you the product to try as much as we can. We're going to take the entire risk as much as we can. We're going to make it as easy for you as possible to try it out. And then you can make an informed decision because that is beyond marketing. So um, I'm not saying that marketing is not important, but the role of marketing and sales has kind of shifted towards finding good buyers instead of just like convincing them. And that's basically mm -hmm. what we mean with product-like growth. It's not to replace marketing or sales. It's really to put the customer into the front and center and uh, make their success basically the differentiating factor between what you offer and what uh, your competition offers. I hope that makes sense. But like uh, if I had to condense it to this one sentence, then it is showing and not just talking about it. Do you have any examples of companies that you think are like doing the prime example of this? Like uh, who, who, are, who are the ones you look to when you're like, hey, Product-led growth done right, this company. Like, what, what, what would that be? Oh, God. I thought that I could not talk about HubSpot again. But, yeah, so HubSpot <laughs> is a really good example. <laughs> HubSpot is a great example because uh, product-led growth has originally originated in uh, B2B. So it's a very relevant concept there because in B2C, we've always done this, right? So, like, we always try to give samples of something or, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, onboard user with three things. But you can also expand this to areas where it was not used or like where it was not, how do you say, like uses to expose your product this much to the customer before you can do anything with it. Um, so, for instance, cars is a, is a very good example as well. Like Tesla has probably the most product-led formula out there in the sense that you do not talk to salespeople at all. Maybe you can get the entire car without talking to salespeople. You can just order it over the web. That was unthinkable 10 years ago. Um, but interestingly, Tesla also didn't start it, did not start product-led. Um, and and what I mean with this is, is that if the market does not know about you, you have absolutely no brand, and the problem is also kind of not what people are looking for, then you need to create demand with marketing but also with sales, much more direct. So like the Model S, the very first um, models that were produced by Tesla, they were not exactly what you would call product-led, right? So like the very high barrier of entry, nobody knew the car, it was a bit shit, the quality was not good, you could not charge the thing anywhere. That was not the product-led growth stage of Tesla, if you want to call it that, but that one followed afterwards, right? So like it's, as you go into the mass market, if you can start to really get people around your uh, value proposition and people understand what you're actually offering. Um, until then, you still have to go with a more sales-led, marketing-led approach that has to generate interest. But after that, I think almost every industry is going to move towards it in one form or another. I, it's just a logical the, conclusion the examples of what's you going brought to up here, right? Like they're, uh, they're both examples of companies that 
I, I don't know too much about Tesla, to be honest, in that case, but at least HubSpot didn't really start out with product-led growth, right? It's something they grew into. Would that be right? Like, for, for me, um, I like always, HubSpot has always been like the, the ones who invented organic growth when it comes to organic SEO, like uh, blog posts and content marketing in general. That's always been the thing around HubSpot for me, at least. Would you say that's right? Yeah. So is it more like a thing for you that like, that becomes, because a lot of people always talk about it in the startup phases, like, yeah, we got to do product led growth and like you're two people. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, I so mean, is, is that how you see it as well? Or, uh, yeah, kind of. It's like as soon as any company has some sort of product market fit, like they think they have found some people, they completely forget about the customers, right? So, like, they just stop talking to them. Like, I guess everybody is being customer centric in the beginning. But HubSpot is a very interesting example because. If you think about what an SQL or an MQL is, or like, you know, marketing quali market qualified leads, sales qualified leads, all that kind of jazz. These are not new concepts. We know about them for 40, 50 years, even before Leia was on this earth. And the interesting bit about HubSpot was that this is a company that was hugely profitable already with sales and sales led um, outbound reach, right? They made a 30% year-on-year growth. They were highly profitable. And then they disrupted themselves by saying, there is something more out there. We should do inbound. We should try to really focus on the customers. Maybe we can do something else. And if I recall the story correct, the way that it happened is basically that the CEO said, along with some other people, um, lock yourself into the basement, figure this stuff out, make it as easy to onboard as possible. Right. We believe in this and they started to also measure, uh, you know, customer success and so forth. And the, what this did essentially, if you had to summarize this, is it, it took the salesperson that was mandatory, like the request a demo button on the website to all the way back to a point where they said, now we can also access a customer segment that is much, much smaller uh, and that does not necessarily require a salesperson. Now, that does not sound that revolutionary by itself, but it is if you think about a sales-led company is always very hesitant traditionally to do this because they always fear like that they're going to be out of a job. And that's not what it should be, right? It's This is, but basically what HubSpot did is they offered, by now they have, I think, five main products and you can get in on any one of them. And then you're kind of in there and they think long-term with you because a percentage of these people that are onboarding at the bottom will become bigger companies and essentially also enterprise accounts. So you also need to think about it, not only like, oh, this is our CAC and this is our LTV that we have for customer. The expansion revenue is, is extremely important when it comes to product-led growth. So what is the potential of our client in the long-term and how do we bind the client to us is 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 also a different story because you're not just trying to bind the client by convincing them that they need to sign a three-year deal you bind them by hey this tool is so good that you never want to cancel but you could and it's kind of like the same as with ikea and their mattresses i remember when when you could return your mattress in ikea in the in the next i don't know 10 days or something and now you i think you can return it like in the in the next year yeah, it's just like it's about generating trust. Like, okay, look, the product is good enough, and if you have a problem with it, you can return it. We we take the risk, mm -hmm. right? And that's becoming a differentiator. And I think that's um no, I think that's a really good point. That's something that we're we've been trying to do. And in, in the episode we released actually today about um, pricing page models, is 
a step that we're trying to make towards PLG, right? Because that's one of the other areas and kind of obstacles that people have. If you can't put a price on something, you need to talk to someone. And in SaaS, we don't like putting prices on things, right? Because there's so many variables that can change the price. And so I think there's so many hurdles, HubSpot, sure, Tesla, sure, Ikea, sure. But how could a small company that maybe doesn't have a ton of data, doesn't have a ton of resources, what, what would you suggest they do to kind of dip their toe into PLG and get that ball rolling? The hippie answer would be trust the process. The actual business answer is you need to understand that you cannot segment the customer's journey into different steps and analyze any of those in isolation. That just does not work. So what does that mean? So let's say, hypothetically speaking, you two work in a marketing department. Hypothetically. This is hypothetically, <laughs> right? So like this is about MQLs. Um, if you have a goal to find either by yourself or from C-level or whatever, that you need to increase your MQLs. So your qualified leads that are coming in through marketing. You can remove your pricing page and the leads will go up. Why will they go up? Because more people want to know what's up and some of them are contacting your sales because they just want to have some kind of pricing indication. Um, you've been successful. Congratulations. Case closed, right? The problem is what you measure in the way that you measure it is what gets managed for these teams. Mm -hmm. And less MQLs is not a bad thing. It's just not what it is. It's not a bad thing if it means overall for the amount of money spent at the top, you get less deals, but in the pipeline, you will get more money at the end. That's what matters, right? And everybody goes like, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, but like if you have one team that is incentivized on just generating a lot of leads, then, you know, you can start to do this stupid stuff. And while a pricing page is a very obvious thing, you have to understand that every company in the end is run by and operated by people. And if I tell someone to do something, then they're going to do that. Whether you're going to stand in front in the all hands meeting and say like, oh, we should make sure that we're customer centric. Look, if you're not incentivizing the customer success, then it's not going to happen. It's that simple. So, so, so to, to an extent, it comes down to setting the right metrics from the start, right? Like, so actually, instead of focusing on a you're just focusing on hardcore revenue, which is something we've talked tremendously about, because like the, we truly believe in that as well, right? Like focusing on an actual weighted pipeline, an actual pipeline that converts in the end. And product-led growth is kind of coming, is in like a new not a new way, but like a way of looking at that in, in an even more complex perspective. I think the issue for a lot of people is getting to that metric. Like, right? How do you how do you measure? Uh, so, because it requires quite a few steps to have those metrics. Like, um, the reason a lot of people advert to MQLs is because you know it's easy. You know, somebody signed up on a website. Yeah. Hey, go. <laughs> That's the easiest metric maybe to to measure. Like, would you say like would you say the metric is a barrier in itself? Like, uh, if that makes sense. So. There's a common pattern that I see that I usually have to fix in almost every company, uh, unless they have their stuff together. But if they have their stuff together, then they don't need me. Um, and that usually is usually the case for all of us. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. But like, you know, there's uh, there are a lot of companies that got this right, but then they have different problems. But if you talk about okay, let's do product-led growth. The first thing that is what we that we should talk about is like okay, what is it and so forth. You know, terminology and so forth. Blah blah blah. But we can go down to the level of how do you incentivize your teams? Because that will show whether you can actually do this. There's two things necessary, right? First of all, we need to have a goal that is kind of intelligent. Okay, yada, yada, yada. The other thing is, in order to measure something, you need to have a baseline. 
if you cannot measure what you're trying to be compared with at the end of an OKR or whatever you use for planning, then it's kind of meaningless. Okay, that's clear as well. So now you have like three stages of intelligent goal setting. So the very first one is an absolute one. Let's just say we agree that we should not deliver features, but outcomes, right? So like, we're not just like, okay, we, the goal for Q2 is to deliver a marketing campaign. That's Love a feature that. delivery. And the outcome would be, an outcome is, okay, we're going to produce um, 300 MQLs instead of 100 MQLs in the next quarter. It's kind of outcome driven, right? So that's already better, but it's still shit because what it does not take care of is there is no quality attached to it. So the next level that you would do is you would say, okay, now we increase the ratio of something. And the ratio would be for a $1,000 market spend, we get that many MQLs. It's already a little bit better, but it's still not good because it's still a revenue target, even though it's a little bit of a hidden one, right? So like, because you say like, yeah, but MQLs are not really revenue or whatever. They kind of are, right? So what you do now is, to really get to the pros level is you have to split it up. You have to say, okay, instead of generating just flat MQLs, what we do is we generate a specific amount from a specific segment. And that segment can be, for instance, from engaged users or people that we already have uh, in the product that you are doing something, you know, like you start to do an outreach based on another trigger. So what that means, for instance, I wrote an article about this. So for Substack, for instance, it means um, a typical goal is we increase the amount of users that we have, like free users in general, and those that are engaged users. And that is some kind of metric that you need to define from one percentage to another percentage. And then you have a second layer of goals where you say, from all of these engaged users, we are converting another percentage of those into revenue, you know, like because they're signing up or whatever. And what that does is you need to define at some point what an engaged user is or like a successful user. It can be, this, this works for marketing, this works for sales or whatever. And the simple message in here with many, many words, take a customer or like a user base that you have, like whether this is your user or whether it's uh, enterprise buyers or teams or whatever, and you define four steps in the process where they engage with your company that you define as customer success. So for instance, you could say, you know, we have a setup moment, we have an aha moment, or we have a eureka moment where the customer really gets what we are actually doing uh, and a habit moment. And in the example of your company, this could be something where you say like, okay, there need to be a couple conditions in place before we say that they could make business with us, right? So that would be a setup moment. And in the aha moment is, is when you see a specific signal. So for sales, it could be that they start to, I don't know, uh, they buy a SIM or like they have a specific tracking in place or whatever it is. So you can kind of structure this entire process around it in some way, but don't overdo it. You just need to find some kind of sequence that makes sense. So you have a setup, then you have an aha, and then the eureka moment would be, oh, we can do this with the SIMs. We didn't really understand that, right? So like, then you look for a signal in this regard. And once you have these defined, you can start to put teams on it. And that's mm. not revenue anymore, because if it's about moving the customer to this particular stage, that's much more meaningful. But it is you need to be careful as a company, because you need to also carefully define what is a signal in your product that you can measure 
that invariably says, says that the customer is successful. So for Twitter, for instance, it would be if I start to invite someone else to Twitter or I start to tag someone on Twitter. Hey, Jen, did you see what's happening here? Right. So like if they're using a specific sub feature in the product, that means that they're liking it. And that's how you do it in the end, right? So you start to incentivize your teams on this. You do not incentivize them anymore on the absolute revenue numbers or like MQLs or SQLs. It, it makes no sense. And that's, and, and that's, that's how you get there. And, and that kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting. And 100% agree with what you're saying and, and the engagement and things are things that we should be looking at rather than did they give us their email address, right? That's a, sometimes that's an MQL. I think one of the barriers that people come up with as any company I've worked in, as soon as that person is in the product, they're no longer part of marketing or growth. Now they're CS, right? So it almost, even if we were to pull back from that wonderful advice is we might even have to look at restructuring when is a customer a customer? What part of, you know, we, we talk about the life cycle, we talk about the buyer journey. And for us, when they sign that contract, they're off to CS and it, it's up to CS now and CS teams famously under staff, under-resourced, not going to be looking at too much of this data, right? How can we bring that change to make sure, like who should own that, I guess. is yeah, Tell me what to a, do, Leah. That is an excellent <laughs> question. So let's say you have a team that is concerning themselves with bringing product-led growth into the company. And there's one team that you can actually do for this, right? And that's called growth, right? So there's a growth mm -hmm. team. You have two options. You can either attach them on their marketing or you can attach them on their product or you attach them nowhere and you have your own silo for growth, which makes no sense because that's just going to create a lot of trouble. So mm -hmm. the problem that growth teams have is, is that they take care a little bit of everything. So they're going to mess with someone's garden anyways, right? So if you put them to yeah. product, then marketing is going to hate them. If you put them to marketing, then product is going to hate them. Nobody wants them. But the problem is, um, this is like your post uh, the other day, right? We're here to stay, <laughs> get used yeah, to it. Yeah, we're here to stay. I mean, you have to get used to it, right? So like what a growth yeah. team does is they take care of not only acquisition, they also take care of the product a little bit and also take care a little bit of the monetization. But the issue is this. Let's say you're a marketing team. You can also look at it from this perspective. Let's say you're a marketing team and I tell you as a business leader, well, we have this huge event that is going on. I don't know, online conference, 20,000 attendees, and we believe that we can create 500 leads from this through marketing campaigns. Make sure that 30 of those that are coming from this conference are closing. What do you have to do now? So the problem is exactly what you said. You said, well, I can do a marketing campaign. I can make sure that we distribute flyers and whatever, right? So like I can get a lot of these leads in, but then I have no more control over it. But because I incentivize you now, what you're going to do is you're going to go to a product team in your company and say like, hey, we were thinking whether we can change something about the product, you know, like, or like track this kind of thing, you know, like make this flow a little bit easier, you know, like, so everybody that comes in from the conference, they have a really custom onboarding and I want to make sure that they can talk to me while they're doing this. So now you have a lot of dependencies into product teams that you did not have before. And everybody mm -hmm. who has worked in marketing knows this problem. As soon as you have to ask for resources from another team, it gets really, mm -hmm. really dicey. It starts to get really annoying. So what is the solution? The solution is a growth team. And the growth team is good because it has engineers in it. In my experience, it's very difficult to place engineers in a marketing team, in a pure marketing team, because no engineer wants to work for marketing. And no marketeer wants to work for an engineer. But if you relabel it and you say, like, look, this is a growth team, 
with a marketer on board and with engineering resources on board, then it kind of starts to suddenly work. Um, so the answer is, regardless of whether you put them under product or whether you put them under marketing, I tend to put them under product in general, by and large. Just make sure whatever team it is, that they are independent. They have engineering resources and they can facilitate this kind of stuff and they can think about the entire process instead of the silo. Because then it's not anymore like, oh, how many people can we acquire? Then the story becomes, well, in the next quarters, how many people from all these online conferences can we actually transfer into closed accounts together with sales? And then it becomes more interesting, right? So like you still have an unsolved big problem in there and that is the salespeople <laughs> because they can still be a problem in themselves. But by and large, depending on the size of your accounts, you still have kind of a predictable deal flow. Um, and that's still already far, far better than just blindly generating MQLs. So to answer your question, have engineers make them independent and put goals on them that are meaningful from end to end. And and one thing I was thinking when you were saying this is just, so I've implemented a bunch of growth teams as well across the board. And one of the things uh, I always found was extremely important for having it succeed was stakeholder buy-in. Mm-hmm. So, and, and here we're not talking, uh, we're not even talking VP, we're talking like top, top seed level buy-in. Like in most well. cases, yeah. I was like, if the CEO is not on board with this, it's not going to work actually. Yeah, you're dead uh, in the water. It, it, no. it can work sometimes, but like, just because like you have to tell other teams, hey guys, these guys are going to break some shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're going to go out there. They're going to be Batman. They're not the ones you want, but they're the ones we need. Right. And they're going to break some shit. Uh, and that. And if you don't have that behind you, I've found that it's very hard to succeed with it. I would go further. Also found I'd like uh, it's I've also like. Do you still use the? Um, I know this is maybe an old school growth term, but I still use North Star metric as like uh, the defining term. Is that is that still a thing, or am, am I being an old school uh, growth person when I say that? Uh, I don't know. No, I mean a North Star metric can be anything, right? Like it can yeah. be as as long as you switch it out to a customer success metric. Sure, why not? I mean, it can also be something like. Um, I don't know, at small PDF, which was a document management platform, we had a North Star metric for about 10 to 15 teams, which was still um, the amount of documents that are being processed by SMBs by the end of the year. And I mean, you can have a North Star in the, in the, in the strategy. You can have a North Star in your team. I guess that's just a different word for one, the most mm. important metric. Um, yeah, you can exactly. call it whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th- I think it was just uh, it was just coined like that for a while ago, right? And that, that's why no, I you're still cool. It, but essentially, it's just the same. You're still, still cool, You just have to define that one metric that matters, essentially, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, you're still cool. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, we are getting close to our time, but this has been. I don't want to stop. <laughs> I have so many questions because I have a growth team, and we talked about this when I was on your podcast. But the the thing that we have we have a very strict divide between the growth team and the product and we are not allowed to dabble in the product. So we're trying to find that where does that line between the growth team and owning the website and owning the experience and owning the onboarding stop and then the product. And that is, um, as you kind of said, it's when you, when you start dabbling in the product, the product team go fuck off, <laughs> don't break everything marketing. Um, so I think that's, um, that's really good insight of, of trying to get engineers who can dabble in the product and, break no. things <laughs> you have to but as casper said you need to have c-level buy-in that this yeah. is okay and that there will be overlap there will be overlap there mm-hmm. will be people with knives on the floor and <laughs> this is what it is it's normal at the start 
Mm -hmm. Amazing. Cool. Uh, Casper, any other questions for Leah? Uh, plenty, but I think in, in the in the in the presence of time, let's uh, let's cut it here. Here, but I I just think I love your approach around MQLs. It's something we talked so much about, mm -hmm. uh, Leah. And I think if, if one of the takeaways I would love people to take from today is to start digging deeper, like. Mm -hmm. To stop focusing on MQLs. You can get like, if you're missing MQLs, get your family to sign up and suddenly you're on quota, right? So yeah. like we talked a lot about this part before. It's like, yeah, I wish people would listen to this and just really start focusing on the right metrics. And and whether you do it in a product-led growth way or, uh, or another way that that's, yeah, that's up to you. But, but this is the, I think this is really important, like uh, no matter what you do. Yeah. So yeah, love it. Any parting uh, words, Leah? If you don't take care of your customer, someone else will. Boom. Boom. There it is. <laughs> we can't top that. So thank you very much for listening, Leah. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will have a part two with her. So don't worry, everyone. Um, tune, in, uh, tune in next week, though, for, for that, because we're going to tease it out a little bit. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Keep up the good work. Thank you for having Bye. me. Bye-bye. See you.